This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Looks like it's ladies' night again. This is episode 97, the fifth part of the history of six-day races, running as far as you can in six days. In this episode, in 1875, Daniel O'Leary of Chicago seeks to dethrone Edward Payson Weston as the six-day king, and a six-day fraud emerged to try to get a piece of the action. (gasps) I would like to thank those who have signed up to be a patron for Ultra Running History. Here's a shout-out to our latest Patreon member, Chris Wedge. Please help this podcast by becoming an Ultra Running History patron. You can sign up to contribute a few dollars each month. Go to ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become my partner. That's ultrarunninghistory.com slash member to become a Patreon member. Also, don't forget, if you want to receive these episodes automatically, subscribe using your favorite podcast app. Now to the story. By March 1875, Edward Payson Weston from New York City was on top of the ultra-running world, also called pedestrianism back then. He had just won the first six-day race in history, was the only person who had ever walked 500 miles in six days, and held the 24-hour world walking record of 115 miles. Through his efforts and the promotion of P.T. Barnum, The sport had been given a rebirth and was on the front pages of newspapers across America. Weston had won hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's value for his exploits, and obviously others wanted a piece of this action too. Others attempted to match Weston's 500-mile six-day accomplishment achieved in New Jersey in December 1874. In April 1875, Alan Brown, claimed to walk 500 miles in six days in Nashville, Tennessee. He claimed to be the first pedestrian who had accomplished the feat without a charge of trickery. It is very unlikely that this was legitimate. Brown was an unknown and never again was mentioned in connection with pedestrianism. Brown was just a pretender, but a true contender emerged in Chicago, Illinois. Daniel O'Leary was born in Ireland, and as a child lived through terrible years of potato blight, causing horrible starvation and disease. It was said that he began walking very early in life, jumping out of the cradle early, and walked three miles in under an hour while still a toddler. It was written, This was looked upon as astonishing, considering his size and years, and it was predicted that he would become a great pedestrian. As a youth, he rarely took rides and instead relied on his legs to go from place to place. During his teens, he excelled in sports and was the ringleader among the boys. In 1865, at the age of 19, like so many other Irish, O'Leary immigrated to America. He could not find work in New York City, so he settled in Chicago, worked in a lumber yard, and sold books door to door. He built up his endurance from speedwalking his routes. It was said that when he tried to sell books to people, that many told him to take a walk. So he did. In 1874, O'Leary overheard a group discussing Weston's attempts to walk 100 miles in 24 hours. 
One person said that only a Yankee could accomplish the feat. O'Leary finally said that he thought he could beat Weston. They roared with laughter. O'Leary wanted to prove that an Irishman could be a successful distance walker too. He rented the West Side Brink in Chicago and announced that he would be attempting to walk 100 miles in 24 hours. O'Leary made his 100-mile try on July 14, 1874. Most of the bets were against his success. At the start, he was greeted with a hearty round of cheering. It was reported, The area of the rink, which was scientifically surveyed, is 400 feet. 13 and 1 fifth circuits make up a mile. O'Leary began at 8.35 p.m. At 15 miles, he was described as having the air of a man who was determined to conquer or die. His fuel during the walk was only ice water and brandy. O'Leary succeeded and finished in 23 hours 17 minutes. It was more than two hours slower than Weston's best, but he proved that an Irishman could walk 100 miles in less than 24 hours. His friends presented him with the Championship Pedestrian Medal of the United States. But in reality, Weston was recognized by the national public as the premier pedestrian. O'Leary believed he could beat him and started to issue public challenges, which Weston ignored. A month later, O'Leary improved and walked 106 miles in 23 hours, 27 minutes. He was becoming the darling walker of Chicago and started making good money doing it. O'Leary followed news of Weston's 1874 failures in walking 500 miles in six days, see episode 94, and wanted to accomplish it before Weston, but could not raise enough financial support to take it on. Chicago fully embraced O'Leary and mocked Weston for not racing against him. Chicago can boast of producing the greatest walker, Mr. Daniel O'Leary. Weston does not dare walk a match with the Chicago champion. After Weston finally accomplished 500 miles in six days in December of 1874, see episode 95, O'Leary again publicly challenged Weston to a six-day walking match for a staggering amount of $10,000, but was brushed off again by Weston, who said, Make a good record first and meet me after. To Weston at the time, O'Leary was just one of a long line of pretenders. Because Weston was at the top of the sport, he did not want to share the spotlight with him or anyone else. To get the national attention he craved, O'Leary knew he needed to perform his abilities in the pedestrian capital of the world, New York City. In March 1875, after the first historic six-day race held in P.T. Barnum's New York City Circus Hippodrome, won by Weston, O'Leary made his way to the Hippodrome too. On March 20th, 1875, O'Leary participated in a minor sideshow, a 20-mile walking contest against Wilson Reed of New York, known as the Walkist, for $1,000. Reed, the hometown favorite, took the early lead, but broke down after just 15 miles. O'Leary said, I don't think I had a friend in the audience, but they changed toward the close. The event helped O'Leary make inroads into the New York City pedestrian establishment. At the end of March 1875, P.T. Barnum reopened his massive New York Hippodrome for a final two-week session before taking his circus on the road. 
he decided to schedule one last pedestrian race in the Hippodrome. It wasn't a six-day race, but it's a cool story. If the crowds came to watch a man walk for hours, what about a woman? Not only did Barnum create the first six-day race, he also started the American era of professional women pedestrians. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Barnum found the aerial wonder, Malie Lola, a gymnast and trapeze performer who had been performing her aerial flights at the Bowery Opera House in New York City for about a year. Lola agreed to be part of a pedestrian race in Barnum's Hippodrome. Her competitor would be William E. Harding of New York. Yes, an ultra-marathon pitting a man against a woman. Barnum was brilliant. This battle of the sexes would take place nearly 100 years before the famed 1973 tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. That's the way it is for the battle of the sexes, Billy Jean King against Bobby Riggs. And it's hard to believe, but probably more than 30,000 people are in this arena for an all-time record tennis audience anywhere in the world. Harding would be required to walk 50 miles in 10 and a half hours, and Lola would be required to walk 30 miles in that same time. This historic ultra-running first started at 12.06 p.m. on March 29, 1875, timed so the finish would be during the prime time in the evening. A novelty was presented at the Hippodrome in the shape of a walking match such has never before occurred in this country, the match between a man against a woman. Harding started off at a quick gait, walking well and handsomely. Lola started her walk about a half hour after Harding. The young lady is no novice at the work and walks in good form. She is slightly built but seems to have good powers of endurance. On the back of her mass of loosely flowing hair was perched a saucy looking sailor-like hat and in her hands she carried a light riding whip. She at first took her time but gradually increased speed as she warmed up to a 15 minute mile pace. Lola finished her 30 miles in 9 hours 59 minutes for the win. Harding finished his 50 miles in 10 hours and 49 minutes. In the years to come, Lee Lola would continue as a female pedestrian, but her true fame came as the most daring female trapeze artist in America. The queen of the trapeze who performed in crowded houses. After nearly a year of performances and many historic ultra-running events, Barnum's New York Hippodrome closed on April 10, 1875. It then went on the road first to Philadelphia. At 1 a.m. the procession to Jersey City began. It was in almost as great variety as the crowd in Noah's Ark. There were 100 trained horses, a rider for every four, two elephants, and a long line of camels. The procession extended for three blocks and brought the animals to the train cars. Before daylight, everything was loaded, including 300 performers. The great show left New York City. Barnum retired from promoting pedestrianism, 
left the Hippodrome empty, but ultra-running history would continue in that venue during the years to come. William Henry Vanderbilt owned the property. After the circus vacated, band leader Patrick Gilmore leased the property and the venue was renamed to Gilmore's Concert Garden and opened three months later in July 1875. A permanent roof was added a year later. It became one of the most popular venues in the city and eventually in 1879 was renamed to Madison Square Garden. O'Leary still needed to prove that he was a legitimate challenger to Weston. He accomplished that in April 1875 by walking 116 miles in 24 hours, beating Weston's world record of 115 miles. Philadelphia proclaimed, Weston will have to look to his laurels, for all of a sudden, in the height of his fame, a competitor springs up who bids fair to throw his best feats into the shade. Even with that accomplishment, Weston still wasn't interested in a match against O'Leary. O'Leary wanted to prove to Weston and the world that he could do 500 miles in six days too. The Chicago Tribune reported on their favorite pedestrian. O'Leary, who less than a year ago was utterly unknown in pedestrian circles, has within a very brief time accomplished feats which have placed him at the very head of those who follow professionally the heel-to-toe exercise. His performances against time have outrivaled Weston, who resisted all efforts to bring him into a trial of speed and endurance. O'Leary would curiously give himself six and a half days to reach 500 miles instead of the standard six days. Never on Sunday wasn't a factor in Chicago, I guess. He made his attempt at the West Side Rink in Chicago on May 15, 1875. It was delayed several hours because of the condition of the track. The rink, which during the winter was used for ice skating, was found to be in a horrible condition for walking. The flooring actually rested on a bed of mud and water, which splashed up between the boards at every step. O'Leary's team quickly went to work, securing quality boards that were placed around the circumference of the track, and then covered them with a large amount of sawdust and shavings. O'Leary started his walk on Sunday afternoon at 4.13 p.m. Instead of wearing the rather pompous pedestrian velvet attire that Weston typically wore, O'Leary dressed more like the common man. A large crowd was in attendance. They were kept back from the track by a railing. The track was surrounded on the outside by a rope supported by stakes at four corners and at the intermediate points. This provision obliged the pedestrian to turn sharp corners. O'Leary reached 50 miles in 8 hours 50 minutes, 100 miles in 23 hours 1 minute, and 200 miles in less than 50 hours. While walking, he sipped on beef tea, and during his meal stops, he feasted on beefsteak, eggs, and coffee. As he dined, he was rubbed down and provided with fresh stockings and shoes. The building was brilliantly illuminated, and a band played as he walked, creating an inspiring experience to watch. Interactions with the spectators were frequent. On one occasion, a lady came down and presented him with a large bouquet of flowers. As his walk progressed over 400 miles, the audience grew to 5,000 people. 
Young men asked their girls to go and see O'Leary instead of Humpty Dumpty, the minstrels, or the circus. His wonderful fast time shown in walking and his determination to succeed were the topics of conversations elsewhere. The track was a continual problem requiring numerous efforts to drain off water and mud and lay down more sawdust. Finally, on day five, it was in such poor shape with water seeping up that a similar track was quickly constructed inside the first, which was thought to be 11 laps to a mile. But because this track eliminated the sharp corners of the outside track, it was discovered to be a number of feet short, requiring O'Leary to begin a walking session by walking extra laps to make up the distance. Hampered by a blistered heel, Ugh. he pushed on, confident that he would succeed. O'Leary went on to reach about 465 miles in six days, and for his last mile was paced by several other athletes. As the final miles were announced, the wildest cheer broke forth, and when the 500th mile was called, a great shout rent the ear, and it was almost impossible to keep the crowd from lifting the wonderful walker from his feet. He finished his 500 miles in 153 hours instead of 144 hours, six days. He won $1,000, an elegant easy chair, and friends presented him with a medal engraved with Champion Pedestrian of the World. Even though O'Leary did not match Weston's 500 miles in six days, the Chicago press proclaimed, This feat completely eclipses Humbug Weston and shows undeniably that Chicago's pet, O'Leary, can outlast the puffed-up Weston. Let Weston meet O'Leary without any more nonsense and take his punishment. Most agreed that Weston now had a legitimate challenger and hoped that they would race against each other. O'Leary's fame spread through Chicago as pedestrian fever caught fire across the city. It has wholly transformed the appearance of the streets. The sidewalks are now crowded with hurrying pedestrians all stepping forward, male and female, in true professional style with their heads thrown back and hands held up high, each apparently striving to achieve a six mile per hour gait. Streetcars pass along once in a while, but if they contain any passengers at all, they are cripples, weak and infirm old people, or shop boys with heavy bundles. Men can be seen with watches in their hands, timing themselves as they dart forward, and muttering strange words about minutes, seconds, and distances. O'Leary's fame also spread across America, and even back to Ireland. He now worked full-time as a pedestrian, putting on races, exhibitions, and coaching others. Weston surely knew what O'Leary was doing in Chicago. A tit-for-tat competition evolved, where the two were trying to outdo each other. I can't do anything better than you. Weston wanted to preempt O'Leary's six-day effort and also beat O'Leary's 116 miles in 24 hours. He started a six-day attempt in the old rink in New York City a week before O'Leary's six-and-a-half-day walk. He began his walk on May 9, 1875 at 12.02 a.m. with a goal to reach 118 miles in the first 24 hours, 125 miles in 25 hours, and 200 miles in two days and 515 miles in six days. 
After only 22 miles and 5 hours, he left the track with a problem to have his shoes cleaned. On removing his shoes, it was found that his left foot was badly cut below the ankle where it had come in contact with the raised margin of the track. After consulting with the doctor, it was decided to abandon his 118-mile quest during the first 24 hours and let his foot calm down. Weston rested and slept for four hours and then came back and started a remarkable non-stop 100-mile journey. He reached 100 miles in 20 hours and one minute and reached 117 miles within a 24-hour time span, reclaiming the 24-hour world record from O'Leary. He then reached 173 miles after two days, 235 and three, and finished in six days with only 370 miles. Weston's crushed ego took over his brain. On the very next day, he started another 115-mile six-day attempt at the same venue. Two back-to-back six-day attempts. Are you crazy? Well-known citizens were in attendance to cheer the walking celebrity at the start. The fact that Weston was to make a second trial immediately after his last week's labor seemed to create a great curiosity on the part of the people to witness the man who could have even the courage to contemplate, let alone start on, a second effort such as this. That's crazy. On the same day O'Leary started his walk in Chicago, Weston also started this second attempt. He seemed to be cheerful and in excellent spirits and started off briskly, with the exception of a little stiffness, which wore off gradually as he progressed in his tramp. Reality eventually set in on Weston. On the fourth day, after only 201 miles, he fell exhausted on the track and was carried off to his room. His left leg was badly swollen from the knee to the groin. On day five, he came out for another try, but quit after only three miles, and the last day he was unable to walk, so finally officially withdrew. Over the ten days of both efforts, he had covered 571 miles. Reaction to Weston's failure was mixed. In Pennsylvania, it was reported, Weston, the great American failure, did not make his 500 miles in six days. Of course not. As a failure, he is the most discouraging success now afoot. Weston's mantle has now fallen on Daniel O'Leary. The back-to-back six-day attempts apparently took its toll on Weston, and he went into walking retirement for several months. St. Louis wondered, What's become of Weston? Has his soul stopped marching on? In Boston, It is said that Barnum has offered Weston $600 to walk against time. Why can't somebody offer him $2,000 to walk against a stone wall or a buzzsaw? (gasps) Others were hungry to claim the six-day spotlight. On July 12, 1875, William H. Dutcher, age 27, a railroad fireman, started a six-day 500-mile attempt at North Adams, Massachusetts. It was claimed that he succeeded, reaching the 500-mile mark in 5 days, 23 hours, and 25 minutes in front of a packed hall of 1,000 spectators. If true, Dutcher was the only person after Weston to reach that milestone in less than 6 days, and he apparently beat Weston's time by a few minutes. 
His handlers signed affidavits that the walk was legitimate. His accomplishment was widely published across the country and surely noticed by both Weston and O'Leary. But the truth eventually surfaced about Dutcher's six-day walk. He became a hero in the city of North Adams, where he ran up debts around the town because of his popularity. A few weeks later, a grand ball was scheduled where he would be featured. He sold many tickets but skipped out of town and didn't show up on the night of the event. It was soon revealed that his famed walking match had been cheated. The timers and judges had been bribed and credited him with miles while he was actually sleeping. Cheater. Betrayal. Dutcher moved, but later, despite being a fraud, continued his professional walking career for several years. In August 1875, it was announced in New York City that a stock company had been formed to raise funds to hold a great international pedestrian tournament for October in the city that would include a six-day race with $1,000 going to the winner. It was hoped that all the great pedestrians, including Weston and O'Leary, would compete. Four months after his two six-day attempts, in September 1875, Weston came back from his walking sabbatical and attempted to walk 100 miles outdoors on a ball ground at New Haven, Connecticut. He reached 100 miles in 21 hours, 30 minutes. He claimed that he needed to succeed at the sub-22 hour 100 miler in order to be eligible for future walks worth $30,000. With his success, he was back in the news again. Would Weston and O'Leary finally race against each other? Stay tuned for the next episode of the Six Day Race History. With that, this is Davy Crockett. And this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.